pregnancy-related venous thromboembolism is the most common cause of maternal death and the significant cause of maternal morbidity in the United States. The Factor V Leiden mutation is the most common known genetic factor that predisposes to thrombosis. Despite well-published guidelines by both the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine and the ACOG, there's still some common misperceptions regarding this common thrombophilia. For example, I recently saw a patient with a history of recurrent miscarriage tested for a whole panel of thrombophilia. Is this valid? And what are we supposed to do with a heterozygote or a homozygous factor V Leiden carrier? So in this podcast, we're going to cover this topic and those management guidelines covering the most common genetic mutation that predisposes a woman to thrombosis, the factor V Leiden mutation. All right, let's get right to it. Let's start out clearing up a common misperception that I thought was already handled by the ACOG and the SMFM back in 2014. But I recently saw a patient with a history of recurrent pregnancy loss that had a complete thrombophilia workup without a personal or family history of thrombosis. What is the stance of SMFM regarding this? Well, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine from 2014 makes it very clear. Don't do an inherited thrombophilia evaluation just because of a history of recurrent pregnancy loss, intrauterine growth restriction, preeclampsia, or abruption. According to SMFM, scientific data supporting a causal association between either MTHFR polymorphism or other common inherited thrombophilias and adverse pregnancy outcomes like recurrent pregnancy loss, severe preeclampsia, or IUGR are lacking. Specific testing for antiphospholipid antibodies, however, when clinically indicated, should be limited to lupus anticoagulant, anticardiolipin antibody, and beta-2 glycoprotein antibodies. Remember that the antiphospholipid antibody syndrome can have recurrent pregnancy loss as one of its clinical features, but the evaluation for thrombophilia should be limited to patients with concerning histories for the development of DVTs. Remember that women who are pregnant or in the postpartum period have a fourfold to fivefold increased risk of thromboembolism compared with non-pregnant women. The risk of recurrent VTE is also increased threefold to fourfold in pregnant women compared with non-pregnant women with a recurrence rate of 10% per patient year during pregnancy. Remember that even though pregnancy itself is a risk factor for VTE, the highest risk period is the postpartum interval and this increased risk can persist for six weeks postpartum. Let's put this postpartum risk in perspective. Symptomatic VTE is estimated to occur antepartum from conception to delivery in about 5 to 12 per 10,000 pregnancies with events equally distributed throughout all three trimesters. But postpartum for the whole six-week duration, VTE is estimated in about 3 to 7 per 10,000 deliveries. So compared with age-matched non-pregnant women, this translates into a per-day risk that is increased 7 to 10-fold for antepartum risk and 35-fold for the postpartum VTE risk. 
According to the ACOG, those who should be screened for thrombophilias, of which factor V Leiden is a type, include two main categories. The first category are people with a personal history of VTE, with or without a recurrent risk factor and no prior thrombophilia testing. In a population-based study, the recurrence risk of VTE in untreated pregnant women differed based on whether the prior embolism was associated with recurrent risk factors or non-recurrent risk factors. Recurrent risk factors include things like pregnancy or estrogen-containing birth control, and non-recurrent factors include things like fractures, surgery, or prolonged immobilization. For patients with recurrent risk factors, the risk for recurrence was 4.5% versus 2.7% for non-recurrent factors. Remember that inherited thrombophilias increase the risk of VTE to varying degrees based on the type of thrombophilia. For example, the risk of DVT varies on whether the factor V Leiden mutation is a heterozygous carrier or homozygous, and we'll get into that in just a minute. The second category of who to screen for thrombophilia are patients who have a first-degree relative, like a parent or a sibling, with a history of a high-risk inherited thrombophilia. In this setting, targeted testing for the known thrombophilia can be considered if testing will influence patient management. The prevalence of factor V Leiden mutation in European populations is about 5%. In a survey of over 4,000 American men and women participating in two longitudinal prospective studies, carrier frequencies of factor V Leiden mutation in different racial and ethnic groups were as follows. In Caucasians, it was about 5%. In Hispanic Americans, it was about 2.2%. In African Americans, it dropped to 1.2%, and in Asian Americans, it was 0.45%. This mutation renders factor V Leiden refractory to proteolysis by activated protein C. Women who are heterozygous for factor V Leiden have been observed to account for about 40% of cases of VTE during pregnancy. 40%. But we have to explain that number. Although the risk of VTE among pregnant women who are heterozygous for factor V Leiden and are without a personal history of VTE or an affected first-degree relative, even though their relative risk is increased above the baseline pregnancy risk, it is estimated to be no more than 5 up to 12 per thousand deliveries. So remember, there is a big difference between relative risk, which is higher even with heterozygous factor V lighting carriers, but there is a difference between that relative risk and the absolute number risk. Now, in contrast, the risk increases up to 10% among pregnant women with heterozygous factor V Leiden who do have a personal history of VTE. A woman who is heterozygous for factor V Leiden with only an affected first-degree relative and no personal history of VTE only has a slightly higher risk of VTE during pregnancy at about 15 per 1,000 deliveries. Now remember, that's for heterozygous women. Pregnant women who are homozygous for factor V Leiden without a personal history of VTE or an affected first-degree relative have a 1% to 2% risk of VTE, so that's significantly higher. And those who have such a history have a 17% risk of DVT. So there's a big difference between heterozygous carriers, homozygous carriers, and personal history and family history. Okay, now that that basic foundation is done, let's get into management.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about screening or testing for Factor V Leiden mutation. Remember that there's two testing methods. One is the activated protein C resistance assay, and that's typically the second generation. This test is reliable during pregnancy, and it's also reliable during an acute thrombotic event, but it is not reliable during anticoagulation. However, if that is abnormal, you can do the DNA analysis looking for factor V Leiden mutation specifically. And that DNA analysis can be done with any clinical scenario, meaning during pregnancy, during an acute thrombotic event, and even during anticoagulation because it's not a functional assay, it's a DNA analysis. Before we review the specific clinical management guidelines, according to the college, as of July 2018, we have to clarify this whole categorization of thrombophilias into low risk or high risk. There is actually poor consensus among existing guidelines as to what should be classified as high risk or a low risk thrombophilia. Overall recommendations are limited by the quality of existing evidence with a high reliance on case control studies. Nonetheless, the ACOG and the SMFM find it helpful to divide thrombophilias as either high risk or low risk and they have issued management guidelines based on those classifications. All right, let's get right to it. According to the ACOG, a low risk thrombophilia include the following factor V Leiden heterozygous status, prothrombin G2210A heterozygous, and the protein C or protein S deficiency syndrome. A high-risk thrombophilia includes factor V Leiden homozygosity, prothrombin gene G20-210A homozygosity, or heterozygosity for factor V Leiden and prothrombin G2210A mutation together, or antithrombin deficiency. Again, those just listed are the high-risk thrombophilias. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In patients who are factor V Leiden heterozygous, remember that's a low-risk thrombophilia, and who do not have a personal history of a VTE, then during antepartum care, surveillance without anticoagulation therapy is allowed. And postpartum, there's an option. They can do surveillance without anticoagulation, or postpartum, they can have prophylactic anticoagulation if the patient has additional risk factors, like is obese, has prolonged immobilization, or has had a C-section. 
If the patient has factor V Leiden heterozygote status, remember that by itself, that's a low-risk thrombophilia, but they have a first-degree relative with a history of a VTE, in other words, a positive family history, then antepartum, they can undergo surveillance without anticoagulation, or they can receive prophylactic low molecular weight heparin. They can also receive unfractionated heparin, but remember that low molecular weight heparin is just easier to use. Postpartum for patients that are heterozygous carriers and have that first degree family history, then prophylactic anticoagulation with intermediate dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin is recommended. All right, so let's recall what we've done here. We've talked about low-risk thrombophilia without a previous VTE. We've talked about low-risk thrombophilia with a family history of VTE. But what about a low-risk thrombophilia with a single previous episode of VTE and the patient is not receiving long-term anticoagulation? Well, the antepartum management in this case, again, the patient has a personal history, is that prophylactic or intermediate dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin is recommended. And as you suspected, postpartum, yes, postpartum prophylactic anticoagulation therapy or intermediate dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin is recommended. Now, if the patient falls into the high-risk thrombophilia group, remember that includes factor V Leiden homozygous status. Even if they do not have a previous history of a VTE, then antepartum consideration needs to be given to prophylactic or intermediate dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin. Again, because it's a high-risk thrombophilia, antepartum management should include some form of anticoagulation. And the same holds true for postpartum management. In a factor V Leiden homozygous carrier, even without a previous history of VTE, postpartum prophylactic or intermediate dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin is recommended. Things change for the patient who has a high-risk thrombophilia like factor V Leiden homozygous and has a personal history of VTE in these patients during antepartum care, either prophylactic intermediate dose or adjusted dose anticoagulation can be considered. And postpartum, again, postpartum prophylactic or intermediate or adjusted dose low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin should be used for at least six weeks. Therapy level should be equal to the selected antepartum treatment. Again, for up to six weeks in patients with high-risk thrombophilias and a personal prior history. Lastly, for those rare patients who have thrombophilia with two or more personal episodes of VTE who are already receiving long-term anticoagulation, then during the antepartum period, adjusted dose anticoagulation should be done. And of course, postpartum, resumption of long-term anticoagulation therapy should begin. Oral anticoagulations may be considered postpartum based upon planned duration of therapy, lactation, and patient preference. That brings us to a wrap, covering VTE risk with factor V Leiden mutation. This has been a brief review from data of the SMFM, the Royal College of OBGYN, and practice bulletin number 197 from the college. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.